0: Welcome back to I, Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor
1: And I'm Jill wine and today's hashtag Jill's pin is chaos. If you can all see it, um, and I'll maybe post a picture of it, I think we're at the point of chaos, so that's why I'm wearing it.
0: It is definitely chaos in 2024 already. Joe Biden's campaign in this election cycle is about much more than finishing the job that President Biden set out to do from day one of his administration and continuing to deliver meaningful results for real Americans. As President Biden says, it is very much about the future of our democracy and the soul of this nation, but many are skeptical about President Biden's ability to win in 2024. Some say he's too too old, others still don't know enough about all that he has accomplished, leaving them unexcited about voting in 2024, And there are many people, even after all that Trump has done, who still believe whatever he says and refuse to accept the facts and the threat he poses to democracy. Given all of this, today's guest is someone we wanted to hear from to explain the president's accomplishments and campaign messaging and to make clear what must happen between now and Election Day for Joe Biden to win. And
1: that's because our guest today is Simon Rosenberg. He's a Democratic strategist and operative. Simon has worked on several different presidential campaigns, including Michael Dukakis, who, of course, Victor, I know you don't remember, and Bill Clinton, who you probably do remember, at least as Hillary Clinton's husband. Um, He has also worked for the DNC and founded a very influential organization called the New Democrat Network. Currently, Simon produces a weekly newsletter called Hopium and appears regularly on my favorite channel, MSNBC, and other cable networks. Thank you, Simon, for being with us today. We're really glad to get this conversation going, especially because this is the day after that we are recording this, the day after the, new, um, the, the caucuses in Iowa.
2: It's great to be here, Jill and Victor, with both of you. Yeah, it's great to see you too.
0: So we're recording this podcast exactly one day after uh, the Iowa caucus. Trump came out on top unsurprisingly. DeSantis came in just in second and then Nikki Haley came in just two points behind DeSantis despite her really investing um, really no time in Iowa and DeSantis spending a lot of time in Iowa and money that she did not. So I'm wondering if how do you see last night's results impacting the primary campaign, if at all?
2: Look, Trump's going to be the nominee, I think. It's just a question of how long does it take and how much pressure does he really put on Haley and DeSantis to get out. I think, though, there are some warning signs for the Republicans. I mean, I it's my general view. Um, when I look at 2024, I have this basic take, which is that Joe Biden is a good president. The country is better off. The Democratic Party is strong in winning elections all across the country. And they have Trump. And by what I mean by they have Trump is that Trump to me, is one of the worst candidates for major office in the history of the country, that he's uh, a far more degraded, extreme, dangerous uh, candidate than he was in 2016 or 2020, uh, that he, his performance on the stump has been wild and erratic, um, and that he's got, you know, they're taking, the Republicans are taking an enormous risk by nominating him because they really are taking somebody with unprecedented levels of baggage, so many different things that could knock him out of contention, and they're daring the American people to support this guy, despite everything that he's done. It, it's not prudent and smart in our traditional, you know, way that we look at politics. And I think there are three quick warning signs that I saw last night for the Republicans. One is turnout was very low. I know it was cold, but cold can only account for a small percentage of what we saw. I mean, the, you know, the Republicans have been struggling with performance. All across the country since Dobbs. This is another struggle, another performance, um, another underperformance by the Republican Party. Turnout was way, way off, not easy to explain, other than there's a, a lack of enthusiasm, frankly, for the Republican candidates. Second is that we know from polling, the NBC poll, that Nikki Haley supporters, a plurality of Nikki Haley supporters, said they would vote for Biden over Trump in the general election. That is a huge red flag for the Republicans because. know there's somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of the republican party that's not with trump that's you know never that is not with maga um and the question is how many of those folks will hold their nose and vote republican how many will stay home how many will come vote with the democrats this polling a very credible the most serious pollster you know that we have in the business suggested that there could be a significant break from trump uh if he's the nominee and then the third The third point i'd make is is something similar to that which is that you know today we even saw in a fox news interview one of the haley supporters in new hampshire saying just interviewed on fox news that you know if trump wins i'm going to be voting for joe biden the chance for there being substantial erosion um in the republican brand for trump because of his legal problems we now know from polling and there was more polling last night that 30 percent of republican voters said that if Trump is convicted of a crime, it could be a disqualifier for them. That's a big number. And so, yes, the Republicans are feeling good today. Trump won handily. But there are lots of warning signs for the Republicans as we head to this next stage of the election.
1: So I have some follow-up questions from yeah. that I have a number. I hope I can remember them all. One <laughs> is, of course, yes, he won handily, but he only got about 51%. Yep which means that there was 49% who wants someone other than him yep. to be the nominee. And that's a huge number to be yep. going against that I, I think we need to, you know, delve into. Um, secondly, I think convictions are going to be coming soon. And so that could also influence it. And as you said, you saw people who said if he's the nominee, I'm voting for Biden. And yet On our favorite network, we're seeing a huge amount of repetition of one particular New Hampshire voter who said that she would vote for Haley and she would not vote for Biden. That she was sick of basically two white old men being the nominees and she couldn't stand either of them and she was going to vote for Nikki Haley. So that sort of goes against the other things that we're both saying. But can you sort of delve into that? And also yeah. the Fourteenth Amendment plays yep. a role because he could get knocked off the ballot. He is off the ballot in several states. The Supreme Court is taking it up next month. And that could affect a lot if they go along with the Colorado opinion, then he's yep. off the ballot.
2: I, I think this, Jill, this gets to some of the things I was saying, which is that, you know, the Republic Donald Trump and MAGA are very unattractive, right? It's ugly stuff. And it's ugly to Republicans, not just to Democrats and independents. And we know that because in 2022, um, in the battleground states where there were Trumpy candidates, they bled Republican voters and they voted for us. And it's one of the reasons that we did so well throughout the battleground. I mean, we did better in in seven battleground states in 2020 and 2022 than we did in 2020, which and it was supposed to be a bad year for us. Right. And it was Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire. We actually did better than 2020. We got all the way up to 59% in Colorado, 57% Pennsylvania, 55% in Michigan. And and what that requires is for their coalition to split, right? For the Republican coalition to split for their, and we, there is, as you pointed out, there is a lot of data suggesting that Trump is going to struggle as Trumpy candidates did in 2022, uh, across the country to bring his coalition back together to make it competitive. And remember, he had lost last time, right? So he needs more votes. And there's a lot of data and evidence that he may actually get less votes than last time. And he's a damn look, he's a damaged, damaged guy. Even the 14th Amendment issues, I mean, whatever way you look at this. He's the worst candidate to run for president in the history of the country. And we have to start getting more comfortable just saying that, right, that he is, and it's a, and it's tragedy for the United States. The Republican party has gone back to this guy. So, you know, I feel like, yes, there are, there are warning signs for the Republicans everywhere you look.
1: And, and one last question um, yeah. as a follow-up based on what you're saying. Will the choice of a vice presidential candidate make a big deal difference? Could it make a difference? And who do you think he might be considering?
2: It's a great question. I you know, I I don't really know is the answer. I mean, I I I think that it's hard to imagine that there is an olive branch candidate that there that he could tolerate, um, given that he, you know, and I think it's very, you know, it's I I, I struggle with this. I mean, Nikki Haley would be sort of a conventional politics the right pick for him. I just think that's not gonna happen. Trump's a misogynist and he, I don't think he's, I think he's gonna to struggle to put a woman on the ticket. I think it's gonna be difficult for him. I think he's gonna play around with Robert Kennedy and try to claim that that might be a unity ticket, right? It's also, I think, comedic and ridiculous. Um, I don't really know. My gut is that he's gonna go with a steady, kind of boring like Pence figure who doesn't you know, challenge him in the limelight because he's look, I think Trump is, you know, based on his performance, he's not as in touch with the real world as he used to be. And and I and I and he's making enormous mistakes on the stump. I mean, he came out against the ACA the other day, which was an incredible unforced error. Um, he's making daily comments that are being easily used by us. So I, I think we can't do not, I think, ascribe to him this great strategic genius, right? He's kind of crazy and he's doing crazy stuff. And it means that he's likely to make a really kind of crazy pick or, or at least somebody who won't threaten him on the ticket. But I do want to go back to one thing, Joe, that I, I that you had said, and I I don't want to gloss over it because I have this view about what's happening with this polling. We now have a lot of polls that say, that ask the question differently in every poll that if Trump is convicted of a crime or a felony or whatever, will it change your vote? And we know that in some of the polls, the movement can be substantial, you know, eight, 10 points in battleground states, for mm-hmm. example, in the, in the New York Times polls. And my argument is we're already there. Courts have already determined that he tried to rape Eugene Carroll in a dressing room in a department store Courts have already determined that he led an insurrection against the United States. Courts have already determined that he, med, he led a decades-long, massive fraud uh, against the state of New York. And I think these are things that are already known. And we know that he um, uh, stole secrets from the United States and lied to the FBI about it. We don't need a, a trial to determine the answer to that. We know that he's done. You know, he's all these things. He's taken more money. His family's taken more money from foreign governments than any family in the history of the country. My belief is that, you know, there are probably six, seven, eight things that each could be disqualifiers for him once voters become aware of what he's done, because we're already seeing a lot of data suggesting people are sensitized to this already. They're aware that he's kind of a bad guy, has done bad things, and I just don't know. It's part of why the Biden campaign needs to get going, right, is that we need to share with the American people all this new information that we have since 2020, that we didn't have this information before. And I it's why I don't think I think I think we as a party made an enormous mistake a few years ago in waiting for Mueller as we were calling it, right? We were waiting for Robert Mueller to come in and do his thing. Yeah. And it and what we didn't do during that period was engage on the substance of the charges against Trump. We allowed the judicial system because there are lots of good lawyers in the Democratic Party and we respected the process. We need to move this discussion out of the courts and into politics. And it's really important now that Democrats don't wait for, um, you know, uh, Jack Smith or wait for other uh, trials to happen. We have to engage on these matters right now. We can't wait any longer. It's important. Yeah.
0: That's really interesting. We want to delve into what the Biden campaign should do specifically on that and messaging and how, how do we get people to understand the threat of Trump. I have one last follow-up question yeah. for Iowa, which is, you know, we, we mentioned that around 51% of people voted for Trump, yeah. but Simon, you and I, we talk a lot about the youth vote, and yesterday, I'm pretty sure only 21% of young people voted for Trump. Does that raise any concerns for you in terms of how much, kind of, are the lack of youth support that Trump has?
2: Listen, I think Trump is so, is such a bridge for so many young people. Not for everybody. I mean, they're particularly some young men who I think have been very um, enamored with his kind of machismo and everything else, I think, you know, and have had of grown up, you know, people your age, Victor, right? I mean, who, who he was their first major political figure that they ever really encountered. And, you know, like Ronald Reagan, I mean, Ronald Reagan turned a lot of young people into Republicans back in the 1980s. I was in college in those years. And it's very possible that we're starting to see some evidence that Trump has reached young men I, I think young women are unavailable to him uh, to a great degree. And I think that many young men will also be very unavailable to him. And so, I mean, if you you know this. I mean, Victor, you write about this every day. I mean, if you look at his agenda, I mean, he wants the planet to warm faster. He wants more dead kids in schools. He wants more. He wants many of you to lose your health insurance. Um, he wants to return in the economy to being one that's controlled by oligarchs and not by people. I mean... We can we can go down the long list of things. Trump is more distant from the priorities of young people than almost any possible politician one could imagine. And it's why I still have this just deep abiding kind of optimism about this election. I think that once we fully engage, and there is a real debate, not what's happening now because the Biden campaign is not fully stood up, that, you know, I think we can win all these arguments and win the election. I feel really good about it. But look, we have a lot of work to do. Trump is you know where where his great advantage over us is his ability to control the daily discourse and to be really loud and push the media around you know we're not so good at that and joe biden you know is an average communicator as a president i think i don't think we should try to oversell his abilities because i think it would you know we need and that's why we need a campaign i think the campaign is going to be carrying a significant amount of the communications burden more so than a traditional campaign and we need to get going
1: let me just add or interject that the machismo that he portrays is not only not attractive, the men who follow him will not be attractive to the women of that generation either. Uh, similarly, his policies. I mean, you didn't mention what he did. Abortion. He's responsible for Dobbs, yeah. yeah. And that has caused a huge downfall in Republican uh, elections, and will continue to do so. And he's proud of it. He says it happened because of me, and so yeah. I, well, I just think we can't forget.
2: Joe, those part. are that what you just said is really important because those kinds of mistakes that he's making, him being so direct about Dobbs and giving us that video, is a sign yeah. I think of a campaign that's actually struggling much more than people understand, and. I think Trump's great and on a curve, right? I think he really is. I mean, I think he's he is, you know, he's a horrendous performer. I mean, he's making unbelievable mistakes. And and yet if you read the media today, he's godlike, right? I mean, there's this sense that he has yeah, these magical yeah. superpowers, right? And that there's this sort of magic, even though you know Mag has gotten beat in 2018, 2020, 2022, <laughs> 2023, we just keep beating them again and again and again. Yet somehow there is this magical. You know, powers that he has, this Harry Potter wand that he's got in the in the back room, and he is much more like the Wizard of Oz than Harry Potter, in my in my view. Um, and and that's part of how we have to you know run this campaign. Victor, I know you wanted to ask something there.
0: Oh no, well, I I was just going to ask, and, and maybe this is a good time to talk about the Biden campaign because you know you mentioned that it hasn't really taken off in the way that you would hope. Where are we with the Biden campaign? Is there anything that you can share with us in terms of yeah. what they're doing? right now and um what you want to see
2: look i i think that the biden team is a very very talented group of people you know both the folks in the white house and the folks in the campaign these are very capable experienced and and those who are younger are really good and you know will be well uh, guided by some of the older hands on on the campaign because this is good look this is every time you run against trump it's brand new i mean there is no one's This is outside of conventional politics. We could end up having, you know, Biden may have three or four opponents in this race. I don't know that the third party candidates are going to amount to much. But I mean, it's possible, right, that he's having to run against an unprecedented number of opponents. Um, You know, you've got all the issues of now, you know, Iran attacking Pakistan. I mean, the world is complicated, bringing news in every day. This is a, you know, there's a heavy burden here for Biden world to engage in a very complicated, daily media environment that also, by the way, the other thing has changed from four years ago. I mean, Trump has degraded in my view, but CNN has moved to the right and Univision is moving to the right and Twitter has disappeared. And, you know, the independent media that was that Democrats sort of count on for how we communicate with voters isn't the same. It's, it's further away from us than it was. And so what it means is that know the campaign needs to get going i mean i i think they're a little late i would have liked us to be further ahead right now in both the re-elections in 95 96 and and 2011 2012 uh, clinton and obama were further ahead in the development of their campaign Uh, in fact in 1995 we really won the re-election in in 1995 not in 96 we ran ads against Bob Dole and defined him early. And really, um, you know, Clinton ended up winning the election by eight points in 96, to a great degree, because of the work we did that had already been done by this point in in the reelection. And so the Biden campaign is a little late, and they need to get going. And I, you know, why that is, it's water under the bridge. I, it's not worth getting into. But what it means is that all of us have a role to play, we have to help them Make their case and be loud as I call it. And and uh because being loud and preventing the Republicans from dominating the daily discourse as they do so effectively is really going to be an incredibly important um thing that we all can help with from the outside, right? And and it's part of the reason you're here on this podcast. And and it's why, Victor, you're out there tweeting tweeting your brains out every day um you know and hitting social media so hard and because we got to help Biden get loud and but you know listen i i'm confident uh, you know my worry is that they're under a lot of pressure now and campaigns are you know they're organic they have to they they take their time to grow right it's and and they're going to be under a lot of pressure now and the campaign's going to have to really you know, sort of ward off the ankle biting and all the worries that everybody has and just stay focused on, you know, executing the plan and going after Trump. In some ways, Trump's strong, even though he got 51 percent. I mean, the fact is, the, in my view, the primary is over. He's going to win. And it's very unimaginable to me that something derails him. And so it's forced what I argued a month ago in some series of things that I did, public commentary I did, was that the general election could be here in January, not in the spring. I think that the Biden team, I think, felt that they had a little bit more time and they don't. I imagine that Trump is going to start attacking Biden more frontally and now and start moving on to the general election pretty quickly. And I don't know that we're really ready for that. And, and so we got to get going and, and it's time to get going. And certainly, Victor, I know that you know that the person in charge of the youth part of the campaign today, Eve yeah. Levinson, who's a good friend of yours, a good friend of mine, right, is, you know, as good as they come and works her ass off and is going to, you know, help you and others put together, I hope, the best youth program that we've ever seen in the history of the Democratic Party. That's certainly, I think, something we need to do.
1: That is Absolutely. so crucial.
2: Yeah. And of
1: course, as you know, Victor will be joining the campaign in just a few months, and I'm hoping that he will be able to sort of prod them into more action. But Let's move to the subject of the press, because you mentioned all the gaffes that um, Trump is making, and they are unbelievable. I mean, saying things like, it'll be worth it to vote for me, even if you pass (laughs) away after that. I mean, he said that, and it's not getting any coverage. He has so many gaffes, and if Biden makes even a slight error, it's huge news. Yeah. His age is covered. And nobody talks about the fact, in my opinion, he looks a lot healthier than Donald Trump. He is more active. Yeah, he may fall off his bike, but he's riding a bike, not taking <laughs> a golf cart. And yeah. I I just don't get how the press can do that kind of coverage and not expect it to have a negative impact on his campaign. So what do we do about the press what can people do I mean can we complain to someone saying we're we're not seeing enough coverage of the accomplishments of Biden we want to know more about his accomplishments we want you to cover all the gaffes that Donald Trump is making and I don't I don't know what the answer is so I'm hoping you do
2: Yeah listen, I don't know that I have an answer but I have some thoughts <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah the way I talk about this is that, you know, I worked in the war room now amazingly, 32 years ago, it's hard to believe. Um, and, you know, the war room, when we think of the war room today, right? We think of 20 youngsters drinking Red Bulls, producing, you know, TikTok videos, and, <laughs> um, you know, 20, 20 kids in a sweaty room, right? And, but what the war, the way I think we need to think of the war room now is as uh, two to three million, four million people getting up every day who are connected to the campaign and amplifying the good works of Joe Biden and the Democrats. I mean, the way to think about this is that if we can spread, you know, in his heyday, uh, Tucker Carlson had 3 million viewers a night. If we have 2 or 3 million Democrats who reach 10 people each every day, that's, you know, 20, 30 million people. That's a lot more than Tucker reached every night. And I think we have more latent and innate power to um push back on their on their on their influence over the daily discourse than we understand. I don't think we've ever been asked as Democrats to be information warriors as I call it for our democracy. And and the way I like to think about this is you, you know, don't be annoying when you're an information warrior. You have to just be, you know, be nice to your friends and not overwhelm them. But if if we start taking greater responsibility, us, all of us, us citizens, us proud patriots who love our country and our fighting for our democracy, if we you know, can reach 10 people a day and it's millions of people doing it, right? We will get very loud. And, and so the way I like to think about this is spreading information through your networks is like a victory garden in World War II. It's, it's the kind of thing that you can do at home that can really make a collective difference in the campaign itself. And don't ask, don't wait for permission. You know, from the campaign, I'm giving you permission tonight, all of you, to become information warriors for your democracy. My my dog Tug over my shoulder, my bulldog is helping <laughs> me give you that permission. He's the he's the patron saint of information warriors all across the country. Tug, and um, but I'm, it's not a joke. I mean, this is for real. I mean, I I think that we have to rethink the way, and I have been internally advocating inside the campaign to try to get them to imagine a campaign not of a 1,000 field organizers and 500 staff, but two or 3 million people, you know, you'd rather have two to 3 million people on your team than a couple thousand, right? And and I think we have to rethink the way under the banner of partners in the fight and not donors to the cause. We can't look at Democrats as donors to pay for ads they are gonna run in Michigan. People don't want that. Joe Biden told us the other day, this is a battle for the future of our country and our democracy. It can't be that you only get to be in that battle if you live in seven states, right? And so, you know, we've got to rethink the way that we run a campaign, reimagine it, redesign it to allow millions of people to be part of it. And don't wait for the Biden campaign to do it. All of you can do your part. You're here listening to this and watching this podcast. It's an important step forward. Um, And get smart. You know, the way people ask me, how do I do that, Simon? I was like, my biggest advice is take one issue that you really care about and just become reasonably fluent in it and just keep working it right whether it's choice whether it's climate whether it's you know student loans or whatever the issue is you don't have to you know mimic talking points all day that you don't know and understand pick an issue that you really care about passion really matters and trying to persuade people and let's go fight this together
1: that is such great advice Uh, that's one i'm going to be passing on i have two strategy questions for you yeah one is It looks like Nikki Haley is doing very well in New Hampshire, and one poll has her tied with Trump. So do you think that will make a difference? And the second part of the question is, a lot of Democrats in states that allow this are thinking of voting for Nikki Haley in the Republican primary, Democrats doing this as a way of getting rid of the big danger to democracy, Donald Trump. Obviously, that's in recognition that Nikki Haley is really just a Donald Trump in heels, and she really does have the same policies. But So what do you think of that as a strategy, and do you think the outcome of New Hampshire could really uh, waylay Donald Trump if Nikki Haley ties or does better than that?
2: I would be very surprised if Haley is able to mount a real challenge to Trump. It could happen, right? I mean, it's politics. Anything can happen, right? It's a you know, it's a new day every day. I would be surprised. I don't think it's the likely outcome. And then on the issue of what you were describing, which they call tactical voting, right? Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of that, to be honest. I mean, I I think that um I know that it's being discussed. In fact, I got a press call from a major reporter today about it. And um, you know, my view is that I I I think that we should vote for Joe Biden or I don't know that Democrats should be voting in Republican primaries. I don't I don't don't know. I don't it doesn't feel natural to me and organic to me. and, And I and I think that I listen, I think I just want to be clear. I want Donald Trump as their nominee. We're going to we're going to beat him. He's a terrible candidate. He's making mistakes. He's far too extreme and dangerous for the American people. We know this politics doesn't work. So you know, to be honest, I want Trump, uh, and I think we're going to kick his ass uh, in the election. Yeah. And because I don't think the American people are going to go for this guy once they understand what he's done, what he's promising, um, and and who he really, you know, and I and I think this idea that well, in twenty sixteen, people knew the Clinton campaign never really mounted a serious effort to to degrade him in the way that people in politics can do these things, you know? And I think that one of the learnings is that we have to be very fierce in the way that we go after him. And I, and I worry, I worry a little bit. I'm not a worrier. I have this slogan in my Substack community called do more worry less, right. As a general way of looking at the world is that my worry is that we, we need to, you know, we need to go, we need to go after him because it's, you have to learn how to do it, right? It's going to take time for us to, you know, to understand the arguments and what's connecting. But I will tell you, just in my own public talks that I give and when I speak to reporters, when I go through all the things that he's done and all the new information that we have about him since 2020, I had a major national reporter the other day say to me, wow, I had forgotten all that stuff. That's Terrible, you know, and yeah. Yeah. I think that if a national reporter is in this game every day, sort of forgot some of the stuff that you know wow. we were talking about earlier, wow. it means that we have enormous opportunity to educate. You know, it's not a big chunk of the electorate, right? Five, ten percent of the electorate, you know, that's available to us that we need to come our way. They've already they're already loosened from the Republican Party, and if they're Republican women, they're even more loosened from the Republican Party over. What's happened with Roe, and we've seen this in Ohio and other places. And so, you know, I think I think we should be confident that we can win this election, that we're strong and they're, you know, we're strong, they're weak, we're united, they're divided, right? We have a president running for reelection with a very strong track record. They have, you know, this terrible guy who's done so much harm and will promise promises to do so much more. I, I think that you know, let's take that and go fight and win this thing. We got a lot of work to do. And but you know, yeah. I I would as a strategist, I can see our path to victory. I don't know how you dress up Donald Trump and make him look like a serious presidential candidate again. And I and to your point, Jill, about his performance, I on my Substack today called Hopium Chronicles. I put a video that I had not watched of him talking about the economy, and I only watched it right before I placed it in the little thing today. He looked tired and old and terrible like in a way that I had never seen him and I was really honestly I think it was it was a little shocking to me I mean we see him when he's all dressed up and they pump him full Adderall and you know they got they spray his hair and paint his face and put the girdle on and and all the other things they do to take this guy and make him like a serious candidate but the other night they hadn't done all that and it was just him And he was, if you see more of that Donald Trump, this guy's not going to win the election.
0: Yeah, that's and and we hope that the media will start showing that version of Donald Trump as well. Um, But we want to ask you about a couple of things that we've sort of noticed um, and and potential sort of um, challenges for the campaign. The first is, I guess, (laughs) the the, the big issue right now for young people, which is the Israel and Gaza situation. Um, You know, there are a lot of people who are very, very angry and outraged about that. Um, How should the campaign be addressing that? Because at least when I talk to my peers, you know, there doesn't really seem to be a very satisfactory answer. They think that Joe Biden is, they call him Genocide Joe now. They say that he's um, really committing um, really bad crimes. What do you think of that and sort of how the campaign moves forward with that and addressing that group of
2: young people? So I think it's one of the reasons why the campaign, I think there are opportunity with young people is unprecedented, but also some of the challenges are really significant, right? Joe Biden is not a, Candidate who's going to be producing daily, shareable social media video in the way that we would need Victor for you. If you were, you know, when you join the campaign or whatever, you're going to do, you know, these tools that you need to reach your peers. We're going to not have as many of them as we would want in in, in many cases, and we're going to have to get very creative. I I think two things about the Israel um, Hamas issue. One is that I'm very doubtful that for the average young person. Who's voting next year that by the time the election comes around given all the other issues the economy healthcare, climate guns you know abortion that this will be a major voting issue for a large number of young people it, it is there's incredible intensity i think on this issue among a small number of people and they're they've been very organized and very loud and you know we and and we should respect that by the way i mean i think we got our butts kicked a little bit in the social media game, and we need to learn from that and, yeah. and to be more aggressive. Um, I do think that Biden's just going to have to make his case, you know, that he did what he believed was the right thing to do. I mean, my own view, and I was saying this from the very very first day, is that the, na- the idea that the fate of the Democratic Party was going to reside in the hands of Bibi Netanyahu was not something that ever was comfortable for me personally. And I think BB yeah. needs to go, right? I mean, one of the critical things for us being able to go back and reach some of those people is things have to get better there, right? And and BB's got to go and there's got to be some kind of sense that we're making progress. I mean, Biden's working his ass off uh, to try to mitigate the damage and also create some kind of next act you know, that happens. But I also think, so I, I think, look, we have every candidate has got assets and liabilities, right? Like this is definitely an area that we're going to have to work on. It's not, you know, we've got work to do. But I think it's for most young people, we're going to be able to get to a draw on this. Yeah. Um, But yeah. for some, we're not. And and that's going to be something we've got to continue to fight and work through and not give up. Because I think Biden made the right call. It was a tough call. And I think for your generation also, you guys are now having to deal with really hard, tough complicated issues that don't really have, a, even though it's being painted as a black and white issue, this is not a black and white issue. This is a deeply complex issue. And and that's good also. By the way, the good thing here is that for young people, I think the second part of it, Victor, is I have this theory, and I may be wrong about this, and we'll talk in a few months, that this also kind of woke up young people a little bit about the election. And, And it's going to turn more young people on to realizing they need to participate as opposed to drawing them away from voting and participating, that in the way that 9-11 yeah. kind of woke up many young people, millennials, this issue I think has made it very hard, particularly if you're in a college, right? I think it's very different if you're working or you're outside of a college setting. This is I think, woken up a lot of young people to saying like, wherever I am on this issue, I gotta go be in the game, right? And I hopefully that it will drive turnout. Hopefully it will help us, but we have to keep working. Yeah. I don't think if you are angry at Joe Biden you know, for what he did, you don't end up voting for Trump, right? Because Trump is obviously in a crazy place on a lot of this stuff. So, you know, we've got work to do. Look, we have a lot of work to do. I'm I'm very optimistic today, right? I feel good about where things are because I've been through presidential campaigns. I know the arc of how a campaign goes and I'm optimistic, but I want to be very clear, right? We have an incredible amount of work to do and victory is not guaranteed. We know that from 2016. But I also feel really confident, given that Democrats have been, since Dobbs, and as you mentioned, Jill, in spring of 2022, we've been outperforming expectations in all sorts of races all over the country. Republicans have been struggling. And I would much rather be the party that's winning again and again and again in all kinds of races, including in places like Ohio, right, than the party that keeps underperforming and losing. And that's why I think that that, um, the fall off, the drop off on turnout last night in Iowa was very, you know, if if you're a real Republican strategist and not a Trumpy guy, right, that turnout number was not good. <laughs> you know, it was a sign that all is not right in the Republican Party, because that's what's been happening in other elections. Their voters have not shown up. They didn't show up in the midterms, in the battlegrounds. They didn't show up in 2023. And why should they, right? The, what the Republicans are offering today is the ugliest offering that we've seen in a political party potentially since the 19th century in the United States. And so uh, there shouldn't be a surprise that there's even a, a kind of like, I'm not into what my party's doing. You know, they're going being crazy these days in, among Republicans, and they're sitting it out. It doesn't mean they're going to sit it out in the fall, right? But Donald Trump, I think, has a much higher hill to climb than Joe Biden does, um, you know, heading towards 2024.
1: Yeah. and And to your point about how bad the turnout was in Iowa, on the other hand, Joe Biden just announced some really massive fourth quarter fundraising numbers. Yeah. And it that bodes very well for the campaign. Um, but I also want to just ask you, uh, going back to the uh, Hamas issue, it seems to me that there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding among young people about what's going on. And as you said, it's a very complex issue. But also, has anybody thought about What would happen if Donald Trump had been president and had taken us out of the UN, had cut off all of our allies and stopped being a coalition builder? And someone who definitely admires the strongman Netanyahu, wouldn't it be worse
2: if if he were the president? Yeah. Listen, Jill. I mean, we we are going to have to have these conversations, right? I mean, with Victor's yeah. peers, and I also think that what has happened just even in the last few days, and I've written about this an awful lot, is that you know there is a an Iran Russia axis now that is you know should be worrisome, and it looks like Iran is being emboldened by Republicans. Um, you know, cutting off or or for, I'm stalling is the term I'm using, stalling because I think it's going to happen eventually, the aid to Ukraine and to Israel sending a signal that America's withdrawing from the world and not keeping with our responsibilities. And it's emboldening our adversaries. I mean, what? The, listen, it's my view that what the Republicans have done, the House Republicans have done on the Ukraine-Israel funding is the single most reckless act by a Congress since World War II, period, over and out. It's endangering us in ways that are that are potentially going to Dramatically impact Victor's generation far more than anything that's happening on the ground in Gaza, and just the fact that Iran, in the last few days, has struck both in Pakistan and in Iraq is a sign of their growing ambition and their less, and their and the deterrence effect in the United States is weakening because we look like we are a big global mess right now because we are because of MAGA, and so you know these are I think that we're Jill to your point we're in the very early stages of a big conversation. About how the world is going to work uh, in in the future, and there's so much at stake here. And and look, the the it, So I, I I'm confident that during the course of the campaign that we have a strong case to make, and and we go, we need to go make it.
0: Yeah, that is a challenge for us. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of tangible and concrete that our audience could do. Um, I know we're running short on time. Is there anything else that you would recommend our audience to do ahead of 2024? Where can they find you? You are like all over the place.
2: (laughs) I know, I know. know. Um, So one is, you know, give whatever you can give to the Biden campaign immediately, right? Just 25 bucks, get the email, start engaging, watch the ads. You know, people talk to me all the time about I need message points, talking points. It's all going to come from Biden, right? If you, we need to be, you know amplifying the story and narrative that they're going to be telling because that's going to be the story and narrative that's going to be dominating and let's be very clear the two speeches the president gave uh over the last few weeks the campaign speeches were terrific and smart and yeah. very strong foundations for what we're all going to do together over the next you know 10 months um the second thing is um whatever you're going to do whether it's postcarding or canvassing or phone calling or texting or um, you know being an information warrior you donating right you need to do more of it than you anticipated right I, I think that what the reason we keep winning is that our, our superpower our secret weapon is millions of Americans who've just decided they're not going to let their democracy slip away and that that passion that intensity that, that we keep bringing to election after election, is why I'm so confident that we're gonna do so well because I've been speaking to groups all over the country and people are ready to go. And so whatever, whether it's this race that's happening tonight in Orlando, Florida, or the next race, the Tom Suozzi race in New York, uh, you know, to get the George Santos seat, you should be taking steps towards things that feel important to you um, in whatever way you have. And And one of the things I've been pushing people towards is North Carolina. I want to win North Carolina. It's the most important growth expansion state in the battleground. I've been pushing people to give money and get to know Anderson Clayton, the 20 your friend, Victor, right? I saw she had a great selfie she did with you and others, yeah, yeah. uh residents, right? Um, you know, she, Anderson's phenomenal and we need to put North Carolina into play and she needs our help now, not in the summer, not in the fall. She needs money and help now. We can win North Carolina. I've seen the data. And then finally, my I have built a fund, community of proud patriots and uh, information warriors at my Substack called Hopium Chronicles. Um, you know, we're up to 30,000 people now. We do live events and I produce content daily. It exhausts me, but I'm having so much fun and you know it's, I'm having more fun than an aging political operative should ever have. And in part, because I'm, <laughs> I'm with, you know, all these amazing people every day, right. Who, you know, love their country and are fighting hard and, being in the trenches with all with everybody is what you know keeps me up. I I get my energy from other people, right? And and from what they're doing. So join me at Hopium Chronicles. It's free, um, and uh, we're doing really good work there. You can learn places to yeah. do more and worry less, as we like to say.
1: We will put that in the show notes so that people know where to Terrific. link up to you. Um, one question that um, I get a lot is. How do we know where our money will be worth spending? What are the winnable states? What are the winnable districts? Do do you have something like that in your...
2: Yeah. uh, So the way I do it in my substack, and I'm being very careful because I actually ran a political organization for many years that only worked in the swing districts and states and all of our money went into races we never knew we could win or not. So I've done this before um, and... Backed candidates like Gavin Newsom and Cory Booker in their earliest, and Kamala Harris. And I spoke to the vice president the other day. Yeah, she yeah. is an old dear friend, and so we. So what we what we do at my site is I'm making very modest recommendations because men, the most important thing people can do is make sure that the races in their state or their area are, you know, that they are helping us win there, right? The next is Biden, and to me, of all the seven Biden states, if you have a marginal dollar or you have uh, time, North Carolina is the most important. It's the area we don't know how to win, and we, you know, we and they've got a very crazy MAGA candidate for governor. And then I'm going to be endorsing in about six to eight House races that I think will be the key House races for us to win. And so, yeah, I mean, if you there are, I'm happy to come back, Jill, as we get a little bit further into the cycle to yeah, talk yeah. about it. And yes, everyone should be demanding. Uh, and rigorous about their money and their time, right? And democracy is on the line. And be careful about how you invest your your money and your time and make sure it's going to places that are very high value. I try to make very modest recommendations because many people in my community are involved with other organizations. And so I don't want to jump ahead of them. I want them, I want it to augment what they're doing. And yes, trust me, what I do every day is try to give people guidance and counsel on how to best spend their time and money to make sure we win.
1: Well, I promise to um, spread the word because I think people really do want to put their money where it can have an impact. Um, It's sort of like, I don't campaign in Illinois because (laughs) they don't need me to campaign. I go to Wisconsin, (laughs) I go to Michigan, I go to Iowa because there it might make a difference. And that's what's important. So yep. even just joining a phone bank or sending yep. postcards really does make a difference. It motivates yep. voters. And so having the names of candidates that we should be supporting would be really great. So I'm going to start following you on Hopium to find yep. out who i should be supporting and sending my money to. Well, me. and
2: Jill, the next one, the next one is February 13th in New York, New York 3, Tom Swasey. This yep. is, we absolutely mm-hmm. must yep. win. We yep. need to take that seat away from the Republicans and and win. This will be a huge, this is a huge battleground. Everyone needs, everyone needs listening today. Please donate, make calls, do whatever you can. All hands on deck in this one. It's coming up in just a few weeks. Early voting starts soon. We got to get to work. Race. Yes,
0: I read Simon, everyone else should too. Um, thank you, Simon, so much for coming on. We yeah. appreciate it so much.
2: Love you guys, keep working hard and uh, let's get this done together this year. Thank you everyone
0: for watching or listening to this episode of IGen Politics. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but in the meantime, be sure to follow us wherever you follow your podcast whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, we are there to find us there. But if you want to watch us, you can also do that at youtube.com politicon, youtube.com politicon, and you also get to see Jill's great pin, The Chaos Pin. So uh, thanks everyone for uh, watching and uh, uh, tune in next week.
1: And don't forget, you have to vote because you saw how just a few thousand votes made a difference in who came in second in the Iowa caucus, and, and it could make a crucial difference in New Hampshire. So everyone has to go out and vote, of course not in the Republican primaries, we want you to vote in the Democratic primaries.